Talk of Muncie, WMUN. All kinds of people. Hosted by Dr. Joe Mashevitz. Getting to know the people of Muncie and Delaware County, Indiana, in a way you've never heard before. It's another way we're using our voice to build our community from Woof Boom Radio and 92.5 FM, 1340 AM, WMUN. Here's your host, Dr. Joe. Hey, 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 everybody. Good morning and welcome to all kinds of people on WMUN, the talk of Muncie. And I am absolutely delighted to have Noelle Sassis with me today in the studio. We were going to say the first Noelle, thank you, but that's kind of a holiday thing. But (laughs) She is the first Noelle guest in the studio. Noelle, thanks so much for coming down to the studios to have a little chat with us today. Thank you for having me. I mean, one of the things I'm quite fascinated by, and um, I want to back up, I guess, go back to childhood, and what might it have been in your childhood that got you involved in what has become a variety of interests? Um, And we'll get into some of those interests, (laughs) but clearly a variety of interests that kind of kind of has you changing gears every two or three years and pursuing <laughs> yeah. other things, quite successfully, by the way. What do you think it was about the childhood that maybe triggered some of that? So, I mean, growing up, it was kind of unstable. You know, I had um, um, a mom who struggled with substance abuse and um, mental illness, but she was an immigrant and an absolute um, glass ceiling crusher. You know, she was always reinventing herself and having to kind of be this chameleon, you know, in order to survive, Um, you know, while she's trying to learn English, you know, as an adult and like raise two kids and, you know, do that in a in a rural community that didn't take too kindly to immigrants during the 80s. So change change was quite consistent. Yeah. Yeah. On a regular basis. My only stability, my only, like, saving grace was school. That was the only place where I had, like, routine and stability. And um, and it was kind of difficult because it's like I had some teachers that didn't understand, you know, like, what my home life was like. So I get in trouble, you know, for being that kid that's always, like, talking during class or whatever. Um, but, <laughs> I, you know, just kind of flying around, being a social butterfly. But So you were a good student, but maybe at times. Yeah. It's like I wanted to be good. I wanted to do good. But it took um, fifth grade before I had a teacher that really, like, I think she knew what was wrong and swooped in and made me her assistant teacher. So I went from ah. being the problem to, like, being the helper. And also, and it was like it went from there, <laughs> heading off on a creative event yeah. a bit. Yeah, yeah, right. because I was able to like self-actualize in that class, and she taught. Um, she was my homeroom teacher. Am I okay. to say her name? It's Mrs. Gullet. Okay. She's amazing. Um, but she, um, she would just like she taught history in the homeroom, and so 
anytime she taught, I, I just listened and soaked up everything, and uh, she was great. We've had several guests on the show who have made comments about a teacher along the way that impacted them. Yeah. Um, so your fifth grade teacher had that on you, and then you went on to Ball State, mm-hmm. nailed a couple degrees. Yeah. <laughs> the, the interest in history, um, what do you think triggered that as a, a, a thing you decided to pursue? So I, my father loved history. He loved reading um, but he was always into the kind of history where it's like the Civil War and the American Revolution, things that go boom. I never got much exposure to the history of, you know, women doing cool things. Okay. And so I was very into, you know, people like uh, Sally Ride and like, you know, hearing their story, Sandra Day O'Connor, any of this idea of like women facing adversity, doing amazing stuff with it and just being successful. I I lived for that and I wanted to do that. I wanted to be like them. And I wanted to tell other people about them because I feel like more people should know who they are. <laughs> well, but that that would be sort of a common path if you got so interested in it, you might want to teach it yourself yeah. at some point in time, which which you did. Yeah. You went off to teach at two different schools. Mm-hmm. You have memories of those classrooms. Yeah, I mean again I'm fascinated by, as like so many of our guests on the show, they've had career paths that have been kind of all over the place um, for a variety of reasons. But those times that you spent at those two schools teaching, what kind of memories you bring back of that with history and not necessarily subjects that all students migrate to, Mm -hmm. but did you incorporate the whole women thing and things in history? Yeah, Yeah. it was really, so at the first school I taught at, it was difficult because that school had a lot of struggles, um, you know, just with like the socioeconomic situation. Okay. It was a Title I school. And so there were a lot of students that wanted to learn histories about queer people or about women or about minorities, histories about, you know, them themselves. And there wasn't a lot of support for that, um, you know, from administration. Um, and, you know, that was a, just a challenging class or just a challenging school to be at because there was also not a lot of support for a first year teacher. Okay. You know, trying to learn the ropes and like kind of figure things out. And when I switched over to a different high school, much different environment, so a wealthier school. You know, I found that there was a lot of support, but at that point, I started to realize that I felt like I was able to take my first breath and really come alive as a person at Ball State. It was when I was in college, and I wanted to be around that environment more, just every day, instead of just constantly feeling like I'm trapped in high school where I'm stuck in the same building and stuck teaching the same thing over and over and over again. Wanted to be in a place that valued my learning too. So so clearly that space at Ball State kind of opened a lot of doors yeah. and gave you, I guess gave you options to run in a variety of different directions mm-hmm. as opposed to being in that classroom mm-hmm. kind of confined yeah. and spin off into a variety of interest areas. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> one of the things... Um, I guess I'm always curious about, uh, as you've gone from job to job, 
Um, what do you think you've gained as a profession um, in those jobs that have allowed you to jump to the next one? Mm. Hmm. Yeah, think on this for a second. <laughs> well, I mean, clearly you have such an outgoing personality. I've got to believe that engagement with people yeah. is very easy for you to do. But it wasn't always. That's the thing. I think that's what it was. It's that, you know, leading up to college, I was feral. Okay. <laughs> you know? So college, you know, sort of taught me how to socialize with people in those multiple jobs, taught me that there are all kinds of people you're going to interact with. It exposes you to different modes of thinking. And a lot of that was overwhelming at times, but also... I just wanted more and more and more of, that. more of that. I learned to like love being around people and, you know, wanting to interact instead of being so independent and just kind of on my own and surviving because that's what most of my childhood was. Okay. was just surviving. So the Ball State experience was very beneficial. Mm -hmm. And what, what triggered you to move on to a master's degree? So um, I was teaching. And I was in my fourth year, and I just, I had felt stuck. There was this loss of, you know, I want to learn more, not just for me, but for my own students. And the school I was at was switching to same day, same lesson instruction. And I needed more freedom. I, I couldn't do that. And so I just, I went back to Ball State to pursue a master's to get back into the love of learning once more. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're with um, Noelle Sassis. Thank you. <laughs> um, having a little chat about her days at Ball State um, and taking on a look at various historical issues along the way, which I think is quite interesting. When we come back, um, we're going to pursue a few other things that Noelle went into, including the pursuit of a doctor degree right now. And um, hopefully, uh, get some insights into that little venture that she's off to. So stay with us, everybody, on all kinds of people. Now, back to WMUN's All Kinds of People with Dr. Joe. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to All Kinds of People on WMUN. I'm with Noelle Sassis. Thank you. And Noelle, yes. when you were doing your master's degree, um, you got involved in some research on women in tattoos yes. and presented at some conferences. Yeah. And I'm, I'm quite curious to know what had you head into that research and maybe share with the audience some of the things you found out about our perception of people that have tattoos, yeah. thank you. Because so, I just, that was a fascinating area to go into. It really was. I um, I got my first tattoo um, when I was a student teacher and I remember it was just such a profound experience for me because I got to modify my body and do just put art on it and I was fascinated by that. And there's so much taboo around tattoos, you know, while I was growing up. Um, People even, making fun of people, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, and just judging them for it. And so it was like, here I was, a teacher, like, and I have one. <laughs> and <laughs> so it's like I've always had a fascination with them. Um, and then in my, um, in my first uh, semester of the grad program, we were encouraged during orientation to pick a topic 
that someone has not talked about for once. Like, quit writing about the same thing over and over. And so I just did a quick Google search during that orientation on my laptop. And there it was. I put women tattoo artists, and I noticed not a lot came up. And I thought, oh, this is my chance to go out there and see what's out, you know, see see what's out there, see who's out there tattooing and what's going on. I discovered a lot of stuff. What what do you think were a couple of the minute findings? So women have been practicing as tattoo artists even before the 70s. Um, a lot of tattooed ladies um, during the early 20th century, once, you know, those kind of sideshows and circuses sort of fell out of favor, um, they started moonlighting as tattoo artists themselves. Okay, okay. So, uh, and were successful at it yeah. without getting a lot of fingers pointed at them. Absolutely. Okay. And also um, the women that, you know, kind of led this initial sort of golden era of tattooing from the 50s, you know, through the 70s, um, they developed much of the tattoo shop culture that we now see in a lot of tattoo shops, even around Muncie, the waiting room. You know, this nice area to sit, the portfolios, right? The idea of custom work rather than just picking something off a wall and getting the same tattoo that others have. Um, tattooing over scars, like for, um, over mastectomy scars. Um, a lot of that, you know, these larger pieces um, were developed by women, um, you know, within the profession. And so they're kind of this, like undiscovered sort of unsung like heroes of the tattoo industry that don't get much credit for much credit being pioneers in it. I just got, I was quite fascinated by that as I was going through some of your biography stuff and so I wanted to make sure we got into that and there was a time when I got on I-69 and ventured through a little area where there were a bunch of tables set up and there you were <laughs> uh, with a friend of yours, yes. thank you, with all sorts of jars and things set out on the table and what triggered that? And explain what these jars are so the audience doesn't <laughs> think we're talking about something really strange. But, <laughs> but so, the whole cosmetic thing and uh, making various things, certainly your creative side went there for a period of time. So yeah. this is a business. It was called the Fancy Frog. I started it with um, my friend Lisa. Uh, we befriended each other. Uh, we only passed notes one time. That's how we became friends <laughs> in grad school. Okay. Um, and we were looking for an excuse to spend more time with each other. And so we decided, let's start a body care business that's witchy. And so we did. And we started selling at um, Anderson uh, Farmer's Market and had a blast. We did that all the way. Um, even when I left to go to Loyola, I would come back uh, twice a month and we'd do that on Saturdays with each other. What were a few of the products? Oh, Just... body scrub, soap. Okay. Uh, we made balm, perfume, and our very last venture, we got into making candles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and are you still into that a little bit? We, we are. I mean, once the pandemic hit, you know, it was kind of difficult to keep that little business going since it was split between both our households. But um, we still love making our own stuff for us, like for ourselves. Yeah. Um, and we've recently even talked about just getting together and making candles again. And just not selling it, but just burning them ourselves, giving them to the people we love. Like, it's just, we just want to create together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great, so. okay. I just, <laughs> I'm fascinated by that story. 
and how you ventured off. You mentioned that even when you were at Loyola, you came back to do that mm-hmm. every so often. You are pursuing your doctorate degree at Loyola. I am. Um, and I, I, again, I, I got kind of caught up in the fact that one of the areas of women, gender, and sexuality is mm-hmm. part of your study area. Yeah, yeah. What are you finding out as you pursue this doctorate that you've been working on now? So I have come to learn that I love writing about just the various things that interest me. And then sometimes, the you know, the more research I do, it's like the more I fall into that area. So it's like I'm interested now, my research is uh, focused on the commodification of witchcraft since the 1960s okay. and its diffusion with feminism. And I have seen that crop up even in my own friendships and my own creative undertakings, like with Lisa, um, having that little soap business with her and being open about being witches and engaging in our craft together, I found that to be illuminating and it made me curious, are there other women out there that have done this? Have they done this throughout history? You know, what does witchcraft and empowerment look like in different, you know, among different groups of people at different times? Um, why is it that witchcraft is everywhere? Yeah. <laughs> you know, why am I a part of commodifying it? <laughs> so it's like, it just kind of, you know, it's like a snowball effect. <laughs> is that going to be where the dissertation ends up? I It might. I, I'm very interested in um, how makers use things like Etsy and Instagram to you know, kind of combat the larger sort of corporate mainstream hmm. commodification of witchcraft. So this is coming up on social media yeah. in ways. Yeah, it's like how do women reclaim that space for themselves and do that independently and, you know, make money off of that without, um, you know, a larger middleman like Parker Brothers and their Ouija board games or what have you, you know. How do you um, go up against these big businesses that tell you this is what witchcraft is and this is what it looks like? Well, it looks different depending on who you are. This will be quite intriguing <laughs> as you start narrowing down your doctorate degree. Thank you. And, and again, I'm so fascinated by the variety of things you've been in and out of um, and successfully. Um, I, I guess I'm kind of curious to... Um, no, I was at a wedding once, and you were the person doing the wedding. Yeah. <laughs> so now you sort of are a minister. Yeah. <laughs> and what kind of got you venturing off into that little area? Oh, my goodness. So it was Lisa. She asked. <laughs> my, so she asked if— um, So a friend asked you if you would do my wedding, so you decided mm-hmm. to become a minister? Uh, yeah, I just—her and her fiancé at the time looked at me, and I—you know, they were just sort of— joking around at first and then they said no we really think you're the one like you're the first person that popped into our minds and I was like okay I guess I'll get I'll get ordained let's do the thing and then did you remind them that you're doing a doctor and doing other things Thank it you. did <laughs> <laughs> but Thank you. I did it and I discovered that I love it it's just another form of learning and connecting I love and bringing people together yes I love bringing people together in the classroom love bringing people together you know within a whether it be a church or a wedding venue or what have you to celebrate love love bringing the people together in my own home to play monopoly or dominion to watch drag race to just commune i love people (laughs) 
I love people now. <laughs> um, we've been with Noel Sassis. Thank you. Who is in the process of finishing up her doctorate at University of Chicago up in Loyola. And um, Noel, I just want to thank you for making the time to come down and chat about what has been a very fascinating <laughs> lifestyle and pursuit of various interests, including that classroom impact. Thank you. Thank well, you for having me. Thanks for being on. All kinds of people, everybody. And I'm doing another shout out to Kim Morris and Steve Lindell. 30 years on the air for both of them. Um, congrats to the two of you. And join us again next week on the Talk of Muncie WMUN for all kinds of people. Have a good week, everybody. <laughs>